Well, hello there and a warm welcome from wherever you're watching, be that your car, couch or conference room. I truly pray that today's message will inspire and stir you to deeper levels of commitment and faith in Jesus. Everybody's quiet because it's awkward because I'm speaking English, right? Anybody feeling a bit awkward? Like what's happening? My brain doesn't want to understand what's happening. I've entered an alternate universe where people now speak a different language than I'm used to. How's my English? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like English. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to touch on, on the English thing a couple of times in this series that we're in. But get used to it because we are on mission. Right. Can I get an amen? We're on mission. We're going get, to get people in the city. People are English speaking. They need somewhere to hear the message of God, the Word of God, and we're going to give it to them. So we are done with our follow series. It was incredible. We spoke about life-giving habits and how Jesus gave us these different things and, and, and models and stuff that we can use to build relationship with Him. Uh, but we're done with that, and it was awesome, and we're not going to forget those things now. I hope you wrote them down somewhere. Revise, revise, revise. That's how you learn. And I hope that you have a couple of tools now to, to help you in relationship with God. We're launching on a new sermon series, and this is something that's really just been tugging on my heart. I just, just chatted to Tian. Where, where are you? Here we are. I spoke to him, and I said, this is like so burning on my heart, the fact that we are on mission. And a couple of times before Follow, where I had the chance to, to preach on something that was of my own choosing, I spoke about that, mission. Family on mission. We are to go out. There's a, there's a king who's sending us out to get people. So we're calling this sermon series the gospel the go spill get it the, the go spill pun intended because we're going to go the gospel is a message that be, that's been given to us by Jesus and he said go and make disciples go out and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them all that I have taught you so we're going to speak about the gospel we're going to speak about four things four weeks of this uh, sermon series this week we're speaking about the powerful gospel. We're speaking about the, the inherent power that the gospel has. The power that God uh, gives in this world is through His gospel. The second week we're going to speak about the public gospel. That's your role. How does the gospel in your life go public in your workspace, at your school, wherever it is? And the third one, uh, the third week, we're going to speak about the personal gospel. How the gospel is nothing else but the story of how God entered your life and how He changed your life. And the fourth week. We're going to speak about the commissioning gospel, the gospel that sends people out into the world. But today, we're looking at the powerful gospel. Now, when speaking of the gospel, where do we begin? Now, as any good speech writer, I went and I Google searched <laughs> gospel. It's very interesting. This is a very, very interesting word. It, it, it actually it comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Godspell or good spell. <laughs> Say that again. Say that quickly. Good, good spell. You have to have like a little bit of an accent. Good spell. That's a good spell, yeah? It's a, it's a good spell, a good story. That's what this means. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word that we translate as gospel is the word euangelion. There we, there we are. Euangelion. Read the top word. Can you read Greek? What? Cray cray. <laughs> euangelion. I put it in, in, in English letters as well for you. This is gospel. This is every time you see the word gospel in your Bible, this is the Greek word that Paul or Peter or whoever writes the Bible is writing down. 
This word means a reward for bringing good news or the good news itself. So from here on out, when I say good news, you, know, you have to know I'm speaking about the gospel. So if I say gospel, you say gospel, gospel. <laughs> it's like the saddest version of that. You know, when I say jump, you say no, 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 no. When I say gospel, you say? There we go. Good. Have you got it down? So from now on in, if I say good news, I mean gospel. And when I say gospel, I mean good news. Where is where's this word used in history? In history, we see this word used many times outside of Christianity. One very famous example is the story of Marathon. Now, you've probably heard this story before. Uh, who's ever heard the, the origins of Marathon? Like the Comrades Marathon, that term. That term comes from a war, actually. The term marathon comes from uh, a, a war that was raging between Persia and Greece. Persia was in, invading Greece. They were far outnumbered. Greece was like a couple of thousand men uh, against a couple of hundred thousand men. So no competition. Persia is going to win. But wonder by wonder, Greece wins. When they win, they send out these heralds. They send out these people with messages called evangelists. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> They send these heralds out to go proclaim the good news of the victory. Now, the story of Marathon is this, this one guy, he runs, what's it, 42 kilometers, Marathon? Yes? All right. Yes. 42 Ks, and he falls dead, literally dies, because he runs into the town. He says, good news, we've won! <laughs> Anticlimax. I would probably also die, so I can't, I can't criticize. I, I can't even make five kilometers. That's one of the, the times we see this word used is, is at Marathon. The euangelion was preached into Greece to say we've won the war against Persia. Another one, uh, another historical example is when Caesar Augustus was born. A decree went out into the Roman Empire that says the birthday of Augustus has been, the, uh, has been for the whole world the beginning of the gospel concerning him. You get this? When, when Augustus was born, they said, here's a new emperor who's bringing freedom in his wake. He's going to free us from everybody. This is the gospel of Augustus. The gospel of Augustus. A gospel in the first century was a declaration of a rule, right? So if, if somebody new was to come to power, they would, there would be a gospel going out into the world to proclaim that this emperor has now become emperor. It's a declaration of the arrival of a king will free people from oppression. Now, very interesting. Listen to how Mark introduces Jesus when he first enters the picture. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's Mark doing here? He's writing in direct opposition to Caesar Augustus, who, by the way, was Caesar at that time. So Mark would have probably been in one of the towns when a, a herald came to the town and say, Hear he, hear he, the gospel of Augustus. <laughs> he was probably familiar with the term gospel, so he writes the same thing. He says, no, 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 he might be emperor, but a new king is in town. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now quickly to summarize this first point, uh, gospel means good news. It's news of victory, news of a king born that will, free, uh, will bring freedom to his people. The question is freedom from what? Now, the disciples didn't understand this, and I think many people also don't understand this, is that when Jesus came onto the scene, you have to understand that this, the disciples were waiting for someone. 
All throughout Israel's history, there has been this promise of somebody who would come to free Israel. And if you look at their history, there have come many people. Uh, there were judges freeing Israel from oppression. They, uh, Moses was this guy who, who came into the story and he freed them from Egypt, from the, the tyranny of, of Pharaoh. So in their story, they've been waiting for someone to come and save them from the power of Rome. They were slaves under the Roman emperor. They were uh, nothing under the, the Roman emperor. He saw them as scum. He didn't like them. So the disciples see Jesus and he says, I'm the Messiah. You know what they see? They see a military leader. That's what they're expecting. At one point, even after Jesus has died, even after he's been raised from the dead, listen to what the, the apostles ask him. Acts 1 verse 6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time bump the emperor from his throne? Will you at this time restore Israel as the one true nation? That's what they're expecting. But Jesus has something totally different in mind. For the disciples, the gospel was a declaration of, political, uh, of a political or military leader. The gospel meant military or political conquest over somebody else. But here's the thing. The gospel of Jesus is not political. It's not military. It's not even a moral conquest. The gospel of Jesus is a spiritual conquest. And that's what we're going to dive in today. Now, to do this, we have to tell, I have to tell you a story. And I'm going to do this really quickly. I don't, I'm not going to keep you long, I promise. I'm going to do this really quickly. We looked at the meaning of gospel, but to really understand how the gospel works in the New Testament, we have to understand the whole Bible. Now, I don't know how long you've been here, but we did a sermon series called Binge Reading the Bible. Awesome. All of that's on YouTube. Go check it out. And we actually went in depth into, uh, into almost every single book um, up to, where do we go? Song of Solomon. And we're going to continue with that one day, I promise. But we, we, we really delved into what those books mean. So go check that out. So I'm not going to do that in-depth study. I'm just going to give a, a broad spectrum, 20,000 miles out of the air, just view of the Bible. You ready? This is going to be like fire hose open information. Just going to stream at you. You're going to be like, stop, stop. It's going to be awesome. So page one, Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And la -di -da -di -da. He creates lights, he creates oceans, he, heaven and earth, plants, stars, sun, moon, sea creatures, land creatures. And after everything that he creates, what does he say? It's good. He makes something and he says, it's good. He makes the stars and he says, it's good. And he makes man, he says, it's very good. Then chapter 1 verse 26 happens. Listen to this. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said. Then God said. Okay, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the, over the birds of of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You go a bit further into chapter 2 and it says, The Lord commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, for, for in, the, uh, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Very important that you remember this. Very important that you remember that promise. So all is well. God creates the world in page 1, right? All is well for how many pages? 
about three. <laughs> about three pages. It's like, and they lived heavily, happily ever after three pages. <laughs> after three pages, uh, a very uh, strange character comes onto the stage. A talking snake. How weird is that? A talking snake enters the picture. He's called the tempter. He's called the, 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 the enemy, the snake, the, the Satan, the bad guy. He enters this good world. And, he, and it's, it's crazy how you look at how he works and how he's able to twist words. Because he, what does he do? He goes to Eve and, he, and, he, and he, he promises her two things. Now listen to how he twists her words. He promises that she will be like God. Right? If you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. And secondly, you will know what is good and what is evil. Now first of all, what has God been doing up, uh, until up to now? It is good. He's been creating things and saying this is good. And secondly, in, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 26, in, what, in whose image does he make humanity? In his image. Those two things that, that the tempter promises Eve is exactly what she already has. She is in the image of God. She can't become anything more like him. And secondly, he has told her what is good and what is evil. He's done that. And what Eve does, we know the story she goes and she eats of it. 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve does two things. She chooses to define good for herself, right? And she tries to become more like God. Eve decides to bypass God's presence in her life. Eve decides to bypass God's insight and knowledge into her life. She decides to do it herself. They eat of the tree. God's, what was God's promise about eating of the tree? You will surely die. Interesting phrase that the Hebrew uses there. The Hebrew for that is moth tamoth. Dying, you will die. <laughs> now the ESV translated as you will surely die, which is actually a good translation because you will like die, die. <laughs> You're going to be like dead, dead. What he means here is that dying, you will die. That day they started dying. That's the reason they, they didn't fall dead that moment, because they started dying. They became mortal in that moment. Although they didn't, they didn't actually physically die that day, there were a numerous number of things that did die. For one, relationship and intimacy with God died. After they ate of the tree, they suddenly hid themselves. They went to the woods and they hid themselves from God, trying to hide away from Him. Identity died. They no longer saw themselves as the image of God. They covered themselves up. They were, sh they were filled with shame. And intimacy with each other died. They made themselves clothes to cover their nakedness after that. From that day, they were filled with shame for who, uh, who they are and, and what they did. They died spiritually. They started to die physically. Now, to summarize this part, before the fall, perfect relationship, made in God's image, perfectly in relationship with Him, walking in the cool of the garden. I just imagine that, huh? Imagine God just walking in the cool of the day with you. The craziest thing is God creates for, for six days and He makes man, and then I, I always imagine the next morning, God looking at Adam, He says, hey, I took the whole day off today. You and me, buddy. God, there's this intimacy with them. After the fall, they're hiding from God. 
thinking of themselves as naked and not good enough, working extremely hard for things. Why? Why all of a sudden must they be thrown out of the garden? Why all of a sudden do they have to work hard? Why does she all of a sudden have to struggle in childbirth? You want to have the details, go read chapter 3, all the promises that God makes there as an as effect of sin. It's because perfect goodness and, 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 and filthiness cannot coincide. Perfect holiness and sin cannot coincide. They cannot be together. It's not because God is jealous and, and because he's, he's this uh, angry old man that he sends them out because they did something he didn't like. No. God is so good that he cannot allow sin in his good place. He cannot allow it. It's not in his nature. He can't just sweep it under the rug and, and make as if nothing happened. But here's the thing. God in His mercy, comes to look for them. At the scene of the crime, <laughs> they've just eaten of this fruit, right? And God shows up. He, he asks, where are you? He's looking for them. Can you see the father looking for his children? Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And he says the following, Genesis 3 verse 14. He makes a promise to the serpent. At the scene of the crime, Adam and Eve are probably getting dressed. And he turns to the snake and he says the following, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And, and listen to this. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God promises an offspring to come. He promises that somebody down the line out of Eve's offspring would come to end the tyranny of the snake, to end the reign of sin. This is the story that we are thrown into. The moment you're born, you're born into sin. You are in the bloodline of, of Adam and Eve, and, and from the moment you are born, you've got this thing inside you that wants to do exactly what God doesn't want you to do. And you've got the snake whispering in your ear, eat of it. And he's twisting God's words. He made you in his image, but you don't look that way. So the story continues. God makes them clothes. Very important. I'm going to come back to that later. God makes them a pair of clothes. He sends them out of Eden. And the story just goes on. They have children. They have Cain and Abel. What does Abel do? What does Cain do? He murders his brother. The same venom is in him. We read about Noah. We read about God's regret over uh, creating the world. We read about the flood and how God is starting over. And we think, all right, now it's going to be better. God has sorted out sin, but then we see Noah, I don't know if you know the story, Noah lying naked in his tent, and his brothers coming in, and we see the same sin, the same venom is in them. The story continues. We come to Abram, and we think, this guy, God promises to him he's going to bless him, bless the nations through him, but what happens? At the first chance he gets, he lies about his wife. He lies about the fact that he's married. We go, about, we go on, we get to Jacob. Jacob's first thing he does is he steals his brother's birthright. The same venom is in them. The offspring has not come yet. The offspring that will step on the, the head of the snake has not come yet. We go on, uh, we, we see Moses. Moses, one of the first things he does, what does he do? He murders an Egyptian. Same venom. We look at Pharaoh and his stone heart. And then there's this little glimpse of hope. God giving the Israelites the Passover. I wish I could stand still on this for longer, but the Passover is this beautiful symbol where God says, 
kill a perfect lamb without blemish and wipe the blood over the doorpost of your, of your, of your house. And when the death angel comes uh, as, as the tenth plague, you will not enter your house. You will go further. I'm going to come back to this. This is the, the model of how God's salvation would work in the future. We go on with the story. The Ten Commandments are given. God gives these things that the, the people of, of Israel can do to have relationship with Him. He says if you, can, if you can achieve these things, then you'll be holy and you'll be able to walk in proximity with me. But right after they give the Ten Commandments, in, He gives the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus chapter 20. You read 10 chapters on, 12 chapters on, and there's a story of the golden calf where Israel turns away from God and makes this calf. The same venom is in them. The same sickness, sin, is still in them. The story continues. One character after the other failing to be the offspring that was promised in Genesis 3. This is what we're born into. This is what you're thrown into when you read the Bible. Your every question as you read the Old Testament should be, is this the one? Is this the snake killer? Is this the offspring that would come and end the tyranny of the snake? And then a mysterious man by the name of Jesus comes onto the scene. Oh, how I love that name, huh? Because Jesus comes onto the scene, and as I just said, Mark 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the good news of somebody who would come. We've been waiting for this guy. We've been waiting for him for almost 3,000 years. Is he the offspring? That should be your question when you come to Jesus for the first time in the New Testament. Is this the guy? Is this the guy that was promised in Genesis 3? Listen to what John the Baptist says when he sees him for the first time. He says, the next day Jesus, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to understand this, let's quickly go back a couple of chapters to Leviticus. Where God gave a couple of laws about offerings. Now, the general idea was, once again, I wish I could stand still in this longer, but I've got a lot to get through. But the idea was that you would symbolically put your sin on a lamb or a ram, and you would kill that ram, killing the sin with it, right? That's like very quick definition of it. But John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is it him? Is this the offspring that was promised? Jesus lives for 30 years under his parents' uh, house, doing nothing. All of a sudden, he gets baptized. He gets led into the wilderness where the same snake confronts him. And our question is, is this the one? What's going what's to happen? He does exactly the same thing he did with Eve. He starts his sentence with, did God really say? He says, are you really the Son of God. That's what he says. And for the first time in 3,000 years, we see a Bible character stand strong against the serpent. It's him. It's the snake crusher. Jesus is the snake crusher. We misunderstand the implications of the cross, guys. There was this promise. The promise was to the snake, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That's what happened on the cross. Quickly see this picture. It's a snake crawling. And this guy stomping on it. But in that action of stomping it, the snake turns around and bites his heel. In the act of killing the snake, the snake kills the guy stepping on it. This is what happens on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, which is the exact plan of the enemy. 
The exact plan of the snake. He's, he's lining up to bite the heel of the snake crusher. And he goes to the cross and he's hanging on the cross. And in that moment, he is the Lamb of God. And the whole sin of the world is put on him as Jesus, as, as God told the Israelites in, in Leviticus, put the sin of, of your people on this lamb and kill it, kill the sin with it. Jesus hangs on a cross and the sin of the world is put on him, right? And the Lamb of God is slain. He dies. Three days. Three days he lies dead. Now, very important. He wasn't like in a coma. He was dead, like dead, dead. You will surely die. Dead, dead. He took the weight of the snake. He took the effect of sin. He took the full wrath of God in that moment. The snake bit him. It gave him a full dose of the venom and it killed him. And he survived. <laughs> he survived. Three days after, he, he got up with the keys of hell in his hand, with the keys for our freedom in his hands. And he goes to his disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses You'll be witnesses of this good news. Go and make disciples wherever you go, teaching them what I've done, what I've taught you, baptizing them. Baptism is this picture of us dying with Jesus and getting raised up with him. The thing is, Satan planned to kill God's plan, but God planned to kill Satan's plan for his plan. This one guy, he said that when Satan murdered Jesus, he committed suicide. Because in the very act of killing Jesus, Satan killed himself. It was by the bite of the snake that he stepped on his heel. What has this got to do with you and me? In that moment, Jesus didn't just, didn't just take the sin of the world, generic. He took your sin. You have to understand this, guys. And it sounds so easy because it is. Jesus in that moment took your sin and placed it on himself, experienced the full weight of your sin, and died. And that sin died with him on the cross. You have to understand this. Jesus paid your debt. The poison can't kill you anymore. The sin effects that were in the garden are over with. Adam and Eve caused separation. Jesus caused intimacy. Adam and Eve produced guilt. Jesus produced freedom and a clear conscience. Adam and Eve lost their purpose in life. Jesus gives the ultimate purpose and mission to your living. Jesus died to get you back to the garden. Not, not just that, but to get you far further than the garden ever could. Now, if I could quickly jump back to the words of, of Paul. He, he says this about the gospel. This is his definition. Romans 1 verse 15 to 16. Listen to this. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, listen to this, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm going to read that again. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the power that is able to save people. The biggest problem in our world is that people don't know that they need saving. Look at your own life. Did you know that you need saving before you, before you knew Jesus? I didn't. There's a scripture in, in Revelation uh, 21 where it says, Jesus will wipe every tear from your eyes. Now, John Piper, a very famous uh, preacher, he says the following about that, about that scripture. He says, you're going to cry because for the very first time in your life, you're going to see how dreadful you were. And how big His grace is. 
For the very first time, you're going to realize how big that forgiveness was. For the very first time, you're going to realize how much you were forgiven. The gospel is the power that's able to save people. It can bring them from death to life. This story is a story of freedom for each and every one of us. And that's what this, this sermon series is about. It's not easy to get this message to people, right? Now, I thought it was necessary today to go through what this gospel is because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to chat about how we're going to get this gospel to people. How are people going to hear this story that can save their life? How are they going to hear this story that can completely change their life? A few generations ago, the Billy Graham generation it was easy. You got a couple of thousand people together in a stadium, you stood on a podium, and you said, you're all going to hell, what are you going to do? Believe in Jesus. That's literally the crux of, what, of some of his sermons. He was an awesome preacher, and he, he had an anointing to say those words in many different ways, but that was, the, that was the way he did it. He pointed people to, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you living in eternal life or eternal death? Choose life. And thousands of people turn to Jesus. In 2021, 2022, it's not that easy. What happens when you tell somebody they're going to hell? I'm offended. <laughs> right? We're so easily offended. And everybody has got a right to be who they are, and that's all good and well. But there's a truth here that every single person on this earth needs. And more than that, it's not just my idea that everybody needs this message. It's the, it's the message of Jesus it's what he said. Go into all the world. Everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This message needs to be heard. Now, my, my only desire tonight is that you would, you would know this. This one thing. If you can repeat this in your mind after tonight, I'm happy. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has always been God's plan. To save this world. Say that again in your mind. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always been God's plan to save this world. It's always been His plan. I want to end off with, with this one, uh, two thoughts. The one is I want to take you back to chapter, to chapter 4, uh, chapter 3 and 4 of Genesis. Back to the very beginning. I want to show you how I believe this has always been God's plan. And then I want to challenge you with something practical. Give you a handle in the sermon that you can take home. And you can make it your own. I was, I was looking at, uh, at sacrifice. The whole topic of sacrifice a couple of years ago. And it was one of those moments where I had a thought that was really just too smart for me to think. So I knew it was God. I was sitting uh, at our table in Bloemfontein. I was writing and I was asking this question. Where is the first sacrifice? Where did God start this, this thing? It would later turn into this beautiful picture of the cross, right? Where did it start? And I, I start in Leviticus and I read uh, where he gives the laws and I start reading back. Go back, go back, go back. You get a couple of, of like nuances. You get a couple of, you, you get Abraham uh, where he's about to offer Isaac and God gives a ram, right? You know that story? Not the first time. You go even further back. Um, and the first instance that I found was actually with Adam and Eve. <laughs> this is crazy. In chapter 3, verse 21, listen to this. And the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Where did he get that skin? 
See this picture quickly. At the scene of the crime, sin has just entered the world. The snake has for the first time started this process of sin. He's, he's entered God's perfect world. He's, bring, he's brought corruption with him. He's brought separation with him. Adam and Eve are naked and afraid, literally. They're standing there. They're covered in leaves. They are ashamed of who they are and what they've done. God turns to the snake and he gives him a promise. I'm going to send an offspring. And he turns to the man and he says, you're going you're gonna to struggle and work and the, the ground is going to bring up thorns and thistles. And then, this isn't in the Bible, but it had to happen because he clothed them with skins. Because I think what he did then is he went and he got a lamb. Out of his creation, he brought a lamb and he says, guys, look at this. Look at what I'm about to do. And he slaughtered a lamb. He killed an animal. And he covered them. That was the first sacrifice. Instead of killing them in the garden, he kills a lamb and he covers their sin. This is what God wants to do for each and every one of us. He wants to take your sin. He wants to, he wants to let you understand that he already killed somebody for that. Jesus was killed for your sin. He wants your friends to know. He wants your colleagues to know. God wants to save the people around you. God is the one who's always had a plan. In the beginning, he made it clear that his plan was to send a lamb to die for our sins. So in closing, I want to make it practical. There's a little paper on your, uh, on your chair and a pen, square paper. I want you to take a, a quick moment. I want you to take a moment and think of somebody in your life. It could be anybody. Here's, here's the one, th one uh, prerequisite that they need to have. It's that they need to be lost. They need to not know Jesus. They need to be somebody who needs to be saved. And will you write down that name? Because this, this is what I want to plant in your heart today. I want you to understand that it has always been God's plan that through Jesus Christ and the message of the cross that that person would be saved. And I pray that as you write down that name, God is going to implant something in your heart of a passion to get that person saved. Now, we're going to chat about how we do that later. That's what the sermon series is about. Next week, we're going to dive into the, the how. This is the what. Next week, it's going to be the how. But I want you to write down a name. Have you got it? I want you to take that name and put it somewhere that you're going to see it every day. And, and I know we do this many times, but really do it. Take that page and put it, I don't know, put it on your dash, put it in the back of your phone, fold it up, keep that safe. Because, here's the thing. Next week, we're going to have a jar here, and it's going to stand here for the foreseeable future, a glass jar. And we're going to trust that we're going to fill that jar with names of people who God has come and saved. We're going to fill it up. We're going to see that people are saved. I'm not talking about people coming from other churches into this church. I don't want that. Stay at home. <laughs> Eat at home. We want people who don't know Jesus to come to the knowledge of Jesus. We want people who think that they're broken and, and they... they they have no purpose in life, to come to an understanding that they are the children of God. That's what we want. Have you got that name? We can hold that, hold that name just up like that. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you that we all are in circles of influence. Thank, thank, thank you, Lord, that we are all in places where we have people around us who need you. And Jesus, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would come and prepare the ground. 
in this moment, Holy Spirit, come and just stir things in the hearts of the people, the names that are in the air right now, Father. I pray that you would just come and do something in their lives, Lord. Come and open conversations, open situations, Lord, where we can address these things, where we as Christians can step into their lives and be a positive influence, to be salt, to be light, Lord. And I pray that we would have the courage, Father, to bring your gospel story, the gospel that started in Genesis and ended on the cross, Father, that we would take that message to the people, to the names that are on the air at this moment. I thank you, God. I thank you for this. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this message. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope that you uh, have stepped just one or two steps closer to Jesus in this process. I also hope that you would really take this challenge to heart. Write that name on a piece of paper, put it somewhere that you can see it every day and start trusting God to save that person.